Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church. We're glad you're with us as we continue on in the series that we're doing called Take Your Stand. And actually, we're going to close it out today, this part of this series. And um, this is a sub-series under the Ministry of Encouragement, and we're really not done yet because we, we still have some work to do. But I wanted to sort of wind down this part of it that we called uh, Taking Your Stand. This is based in Ephesians 6, 12 through 18, which uh, most of you know and hopefully you've been reading is all about the armor of God and taking a stand in it. And so and I've been asking you to memorize those verses a week at a time. I know it's tricky, but uh, I hope you've been doing it and I'm going to encourage you to keep doing it uh, in the days uh, and weeks ahead that these are important, important verses for the days and the times that we live in. And so Ephesians 6, 12 through 18 should pop up overhead. You should actually know 12 through 17 by today. That's, that's sort of where we're at. And uh, if you don't know it, you can say it with me because it's going to pop up overhead. And let's try and do this together. Ephesians 6, 12 through 17. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And having done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Put on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That should be the end of 17, right? And then 18 says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions. And that's all I've learned so far. i got another week, though. With all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert, and always keep on praying for all the saints. Um, this idea of taking a stand when we, we started this message, I said I, I just really felt that the Lord impressed on us the need to take a stand. In particular, about this ministry of encouragement. That we live in a very discouraged, fearful world. And that people try to... Um, manipulate us with fear all the time and and i see it in all quarters um i watched a a video today that someone sent me a link and um it it was uh, from a a christian organization i don't remember which one and and yet they used fear as a motivator and i was kind of shocked but i get how that's part of the thing and the 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 video uh, in was all about the the rise of islam and it had all these stats about what's going to happen to our culture in the years ahead because of the tremendous rise in Islam. And, and they said, okay, you know, and because of that, you should be afraid. You need to get out here and do stuff. And, and, and yet, see, if we know these verses and if we know um, the reality of who God is, we don't need to move out because of a fear-based reaction in that process. See, because God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, power, love, and a sound mind. And yet... Something like that could really stir you up and go, oh, because they made it sound like, you know, for, and the actual words were, nothing will be the same for your children and grandchildren because of the rise of Islam. But see, what they don't take into account, this is where you have to step back and go, is, you don't know what's going to happen. 
in, in that rise. You don't know how many of them are going to stick with Islam. Because I read other sites where it says they're falling out rapidly. Because the, the kids aren't following the parents. We have the same issue in Christianity. But, but you, do you get how if you don't take that in as a balance, you could get all fearful and then your motivation's wrong for the things that you do. We're supposed to be spreaders of the good news. But our motivation has to be love, not fear. Or else we miss the mark. We, we get confused. We get sidetracked and we're not doing what we're supposed to do. If, if our only main motivation for going to tell people about Jesus was the fear of the rise of Islam, I think we'd, we'd, we'd probably get lost pretty quickly, don't you? That's my personal belief. The reason that we tell people about Jesus is because we want them to know how much God loves them in Christ. That, that's the deal. That's the motivation. That's how it works. And if, we, if we're not getting a hold of that, we miss the mark. That's why this stuff is so important. So we have to be people of encouragement. That's what we're called to be. Not people that, that move into discouragement and spread fear. To, to use fear as a motivator. It's a terrible, terrible motivator. So we have to be vigilant. Or that kind of stuff. See, and I told you in one of these messages, and we'll review it, that, that what happens is that the enemy likes to use a spirit of fear. And what the enemy does is take something like that, which I guess was well-intentioned. I don't want to judge those people. But, but all of a sudden, it hooks you with this fear. That's a huge tagline, you know. Well, nothing will be the same for your children and your grandchildren. If you've got children and grandchildren and just people that you love, it makes you go. And, and yet, that's... Because, I mean, the reality is, nothing's going to be the same for your children or grandchildren anyway. It's just not. Things change. It's part of the deal. But we don't need to be afraid. And that's been the, the point of this and why it's so important to take a stand and to process this stuff and to constantly think about these verses to keep us in check. Because it, we only need, you just need to grab yourself real quick to get a hold of that stuff and you can stop it right on the spot. I don't, I, God is still God. God's aware of everything that's going on. These are the things that we have to remember. He's, he's aware of the, Political situations, he's aware of what's happening all over the world, he's aware of every situation. And like I've told you, you never know when God will put an oil-eating microbe in place when it's needed. And so we stay focused, and we, we don't get sidetracked. Right now, everybody would like to get sidetracked on politics. You, if you've come here for any time, you know I don't get political. The reason I do that is because it puts me at odds with half the people in the country that I'm supposed to minister to at any given time because the country's so split. And I don't think it's what we're supposed to do. But I certainly don't need to be afraid of politics. I heard a good joke. What's the best thing that the government could do for the church? Quit printing $1 bills. <laughs> okay. I didn't say it was a good joke. I said it was a joke. Um, I haven't even got in yet. I'm off track. Okay. So the, the idea is we need to take a stand. So what I wanted to do was just do, uh, I called it an outro. We did an intro and we started an outro. That means we, we, I want to go back and just hit some of the highlights because I want you to remember these things and think about them and, and keep processing them. And sometimes you, you get something on a weekend and it may not stick with you or you missed a week or whatever. And, and uh, so I want to hit some of the high points, uh, if you would, the things that I really think were important. And you can then keep this 
uh, and look at it and study it and go back to it and remember what it's all about and why we take a stand, especially as you continue to learn those verses. So um, this was all about taking a stand. And because it says after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. And that God wants us to take a stand. And there were some things in this ministry of encouragement that he definitely wants us to stand about. And the first thing that we talked about was standing up to evil. Standing up to evil. We looked at it in Ephesians 6, 12, and 13. Talking about our struggle not being against flesh and blood. And, and that, uh, that we have this armor that we're going to put on so that we can stand. And that, that evil is something that we need to stand against. And I, I said to you in that message, I made, uh, I made more than two points, but the two points that I really would like you to remember from that message was, the first point was, who do you say that Jesus is? And that this is foundational to everything else that we do. The answer to that question will, will, will be the, uh, set the tone for your life. Who do you say that Jesus is? And I told you that in that message that Peter actually gives us the answer to that question, the question of life, because Jesus asked him, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter's response was correct. Well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Jesus, uh, Peter got it about Jesus. And then uh, Jesus' response was, you, could, you couldn't have figured that out. That's, that's the answer that God gave you. And that that is the answer that life hinges on. Who do you say that Jesus is? And lots of people would, would, would think about Jesus, and they'd like to say things like, well, he was a good guy. He was a, he was a good teacher. He was a philosopher. He was a prophet. Well, a lot of people think of him as those things. Unfortunately, that's not the correct answer. The answer is he's the Christ, the Messiah. He's it. He's the one. He's the one we were waiting for. He's the one that came. He's the one that paid the price for us so we could have a relationship with God again. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. He's it. That's the answer. That's the only acceptable answer. That's the only answer that works, and it's the answer that having that answer then changes everything about your life. And, and the second point, what I, I, I said was that the answer to that question is what keeps us from being distracted, because that's one of the enemy's favorite tricks, is distraction. He just wants to distract people from the truth. And he does it in all sorts of ways. There's more ways than you can possibly imagine he's, he's got them. Keeps them distracted. He, 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 he takes people that, that are, are spiritual people and he makes them um, uh, self-righteous and they get distracted. And they can't do what they're supposed to do. He gets the people that have no interest at all in, in the things of God and he keeps them distracted with the things of the world. He, he, he takes people that are pretty good people and he tries to make them believe things like, well, all you need to do is be a good person. And he's got big chunks of our culture stuck there right now. Because if you ask people, what do you think you need to do to, like, go to heaven? And a lot of, the, we have a great percentage of people in this country that believe in God and in heaven. But when asked that question, their answer is, you just need to be a good person. That answer is nowhere. You can't back that answer up anywhere. It's not in the Bible because it's not the truth. And yet, it's a, if the enemy can do that, he's like, well, like, he wins. So, so we have to make sure that we don't get distracted. And what we have to do is know the question, the answer to that question, who's Jesus? And that determines the way that we live life. And knowing that helps us to stand up to evil. Once we got that figured out, evil becomes much clearer in its presentation. 
Sometimes when you're not sure the answer to that question, it's, it's hard to discern evil. Because even the Bible says there'll be times, you know, and it, it, the, the, the enemy actually is able to make what's right seem wrong and what's good seem bad. And that happens all the time around us. It's, it's everywhere now. They, they, all sorts of stuff is, is culturally right and biblically wrong. And yet, if we, if we say anything, we get in trouble. All, it's all over the place. It's everywhere. And, and it's because we've lost track of the answer to the question. And so we start with that. And so evil becomes much, much easier to discern when we know the answer to the question. So we talked about that. And, and then remember, always, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Rulers, authorities, powers. How do you, you know how I remembered that? I heard somebody else tell me this too. Rulers, a thousand forties, powers, rap, R-A-P. How many of you, how many of you had that same technique? Yeah, because I always got them backwards. Powers, authorities, rulers. That, eh, eh. It's not par, it's rap. Rulers, authorities, powers. Okay. Again, I'm off track. I apologize. Those bunny trails just pop up so quickly. <laughs> and I, I follow them like all the time. Okay. So, we stand up to evil. The second thing that we talked about, and that we need to remember, is that we're called to stand alongside the broken. That we live in a fallen world, on a broken planet, and that the reality is all of us are broken, because all of us have sinned. So we have to remember that first and foremost. And and that um, if we're not careful... One of those little deceptions that comes around causes us to become very self-righteous and we don't stand alongside the broken at all. In fact, we make it impossible for them to get to God and we get off track in the process. So we have to be aware of the importance of standing alongside the broken. And I said in that message, which is based in Ephesians 6.14, which talks about the, um, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, that I made this point that, that I believe that, that truth and righteousness give us, how many of you remember? Well, the answer came up. Integrity. That, that truth and righteousness intersect in our lives in integrity. And that integrity, to me, is when, is when the inside of your life matches the outside. Um, it's, it's when what you say you believe and how you live that out begin to line up. To some level, none of us have that perfectly figured out yet, but it's the process of integrity. And that what we have to be careful of is self-righteousness. And that the, the sort of the group that depicts self-righteousness throughout the Gospels was a little group called the Pharisees. And remember, I, I know I've made this point a lot. I make it all the time on Wednesday. I want to make it again because it's something we have to be aware of all the time. Because it's, it's too easy to write the Pharisees off as evil, and yet you have to understand they didn't start that way. They started with a noble purpose to protect Judaism from being Hellenized, being subjected to the Greek culture. And the way they tried to protect it over time was to make all these rules, and all their rules made it impossible to get to God. And they began to um, sort of think of themselves more highly than they ought because they were the ones who followed the rules, although they broke them all the time to their convenience, but they, they tried to make it look right. They lacked integrity, and, and so they became self-righteous. And that's what happens to us. It's a cover-up um, for evil. 
And I said that one of the things, and this was important, that we do that's very self-righteous that we need to be aware of is a little thing that I called the sin scale. Do you remember that? It's not a biblical term. It's a Steveism. I told you that at the time. There's some of those around. Steveisms. Um, it's, you, never mind. <laughs> Let me explain the process to you. The sin scale is this, that... that Almost everybody I've ever met in conversation has a sin scale. And what a sin scale is, is they that for some reason we have arbitrarily decided um, little sins and big sins. It's not a biblical thing. It's a cultural thing. And we've determined for ourselves that there's little tiny itty bitty baby sins and there's great big sins. And I said, most of the time, we, we sort of see the sins that we're sort of dealing with as the, the smaller, less offensive ones, and that the sins you're dealing with are the great big ones. <laughs> and and, and that, that's sort of the issue. Or if it's not, it's somebody else. We've, we've decided that there's certain big sins that, that are really the main ones that we have to deal with, and we let a lot of little stuff, well, that's really not a big, that's not a big deal. And that, that see, that, that, that whole attitude gets us in big trouble. And so um, we have to understand biblically that sin is sin. And that, that, that scale doesn't exist except in our minds. That's not how life works. And that, that and I, 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 you know, I mentioned all the time in that um, sermon that the chief prime example of that is gossip. Most people in, in the Christian community do not view gossip as a bad thing. They might say that they do, but their actions would say differently because they engage in it all the time. It's one of the most seductive of the sins because it draws us in and causes us to bond illegitimately with other people, generally talking about someone else. And that, that it's terribly destructive and is one of the most sins talked about in the Scripture, and yet we've sort of made it not a big deal. I mean, what, what would happen if we went out and started demonstrating against all the gossipers? There wouldn't be anybody in church. <laughs> There would be no one to demonstrate. It would just fall apart very quickly. But, but see, that's the, the concept is we, we have to get away from the sin scale and begin to realize that sin is sin so that we can deal with people appropriately without putting them somewhere on the scale that makes us think we're better than they are. Which brings up that third point is what Jesus always did. See, Jesus, Jesus never told people sin wasn't a big deal. Sin is a huge deal. And, and he had to go to the cross. It's that big a deal. I mean, huge. But when he looked at people, he didn't label them by their sin. He always saw the beauty of their potential. And, and if we get nothing else out of these series, my hope would be that we get that one. To me, that's one of the most important things that we've talked about. When you, when you deal with people, when you're relating to people, you have to see the beauty of their potential. And that will keep you from being self-righteous. And you have to just be able to relate to them at that level. Don't label them. Don't go into a conversation thinking of their sin. You just go into that conversation seeing the beauty of their potential. This is a, a, a creation of God. And, and you go from there. So many neat people. We miss so many people because we, we label them and won't look past it. And, and that just can't be the, the life that we live. We're called to stand alongside the broken. Third, then we talked about standing against fear, which was Ephesians um, 6, 15 and 16. And this is where we talked about the peace of God and the faith. So we, we talked about uh, our, our, you know, having the shoes of peace and 
the shield of faith. And I said to you that I believe that peace and faith intersect at what we called courage. Courage. Um, which is the heart of the ministry of encouragement. Courage is in there. It gives us the ability to stand um, uh, when, when we need to and, and in the midst of all sorts of different situations. And, and for courage, I said there were two things that you need. And this is, okay, if beauty of the potential is the most important thing I want you to remember, this would be the next chunk. These two things. Because we need to be a people of courage. So just like when something weird tries to hit us, like I was talking about when we started, two things you need to remember. Instead of worrying, and I said that when that spirit of fear comes on you, and I described it as feeling all upside down inside, to me that's what's happening. And the response, the natural response is to worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Right there on the spot, begin to pray. You don't know what to pray? That's why you should be remembering all these verses. I start praying scripture. I, I, whatever it takes. I told you the, in the most despair I have my, my very basic simple prayer. Remember I taught it to you? Did you any of you write it down? Let me, let me tell you what it is. It's, here, here it is again. It's, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. It's a very powerful and effective prayer. Did you get it? <laughs> Instead of worrying, pray. And then, the second part. Always keep God in the equation. See, all this fear-based stuff takes God out of the equation. You can't take God out of the equation. You don't know what God's going to do. You can't assume everything is going to continue to move along as it always has, because it doesn't. We should know that. We should, by, by just being observant of history, we should get a clue very quickly that things do not continue on in the way that they've always gone. They just don't. And that every time we fall for that, and we think, oh, it's always going to be this way. And then it's not. Things change. And, and so we need to be aware of that. You have to keep God in the equation. That's why you don't need to be afraid. God is still God. God is not... I promise you, God is not walking around heaven when something happens going, wow, didn't see that coming. It's just not. So always keep God in the equation. And that will help us to stand against fear. Then we talked about standing with Jesus. And, and we looked there at verse 17 where we talked about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And, and that salvation and the Word, which is that is, intersect and give us real life. Life now and life forever. Go ahead and give me that next slide. Real life. Life now and forever. And I, 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 I talked about in that message the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. And, and I said that the hope of salvation is these things. It's that you get your past forgiven. You get a purpose for living. And you get a future in heaven. And that, again, these concepts are things that we have to hang on to. See that, that when discouragement tries to come in all its various forms... The hope of salvation is, you know, all that mess that I've done is forgiven. I don't need to get stuck there because it's forgiven. It doesn't define me any longer. It's, it's forgiven. That I have a purpose for being now, a God-given purpose. Life has meaning. God's got a plan for me. God's got ministry for me. God, God uses me, wants to use me. God's intimately involved in my life, moment by moment. And that, to top it off... He's got me forever. 
He's, he's promised me a future with him in heaven. And so this is the hope of salvation. And it allows me to connect then in real life and not be consumed by everything else. Because I know what's the most important thing. I, I have the helmet of salvation. My, my thoughts are guarded by the helmet of salvation because of the hope that I have in the promises that come in a life in Christ. And so, I, I mean, that covers it all. Your past is covered, your present is covered, and your future is covered in Christ. With, with all that covered, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be discouraged. I mean, we, and let discouragement last. Because he's, he's got a purpose for us and a plan for us and he's with us. And then last week we talked about standing in love. And that came from Ephesians 6.18 and praying the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And I, 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 I talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit a little bit and who he is and what he does. And how, you know, he's, he's our counselor, he guides us into all truth, and that he empowers us for ministry by giving us gifts um, that he chooses to give us. And that, that he goes on, though, and, and is very clear, the Apostle Paul is with us, that none of it counts unless we understand love. And that, that all of this has to be covered in and wrapped in love, real love. A love for God and a love for others. That, that Jesus has said, and we've looked at it over and over and over again, when asked, what's the most important deal? What's it, what's it all about? Love God. And love your neighbor as yourself. And that it's a constant, um, it's of constant importance to us to make sure that we're operating in love. And so I, I said that the motivation for our lives must be love. It has to be. And anytime it's not, we need to take a good look at what's happening. Anytime we move past that, we need to look at why, what's going on. That's not, that's not, that didn't come out of love at all. And, and it'll happen. Um, I was laughing with somebody the other day. We talked about this after the, the message that they, they do good except for when they're driving. <laughs> and that lots of that doesn't come out of love at all. And yet, you know, if we were doing a little better, we'd probably be a lot better drivers, wouldn't he? And I've told you my struggles with that. I have, I still have one I really work on, but I, it gets me sometimes. I know mean, oh, it's not love that if people haven't merged when they're supposed to, and I have, I don't want to let them in. You, you know that whole deal? And I dangerously don't want to let them in. I'll get up on the bumper of that person in front of me so that there's not even a crack. So they can't, and then I refuse to look at them. So they don't catch my eye. That's not love. I, I'm working on it. I, and I try and catch myself. I, we went to the football games a couple of weeks up in Miami, and, and I have a big truck, which makes it even worse. <laughs> and Doug would be like, aren't you going to let him in? Who in? <laughs> so it's a constant reminder to me I'm not arrived. I'm not excusing it. I'm working on it. I've gotten better at some places, but I, I see it. Well, you know, it's a funny example, but there's lots of things in life where we move out of love and we start operating in something else. And and we have to be aware of it. We have to we have to challenge it. I have to keep challenging that to myself. That's it's not okay. This isn't a race. You know, this this is uh, driving, you know, isn't it's it's why not change? So I ask all the time to help me. I, I haven't arrived yet. It's a 
He lets me know. See, that helps me to know I haven't arrived in a lot of other areas because I haven't. Just ask the people close to me. I got it in some places, but I ain't got it all yet. Some things I still get selfish in. Some things I'm not operating in love at all. So everything, see, has to be passed through the filter of love. Remember I brought that up? The filter of love? How many of you remember where to find it? I'm going to have you write it down so you remember. The filter of love, to me, is found in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love isn't proud. Love isn't self-seeking. Love doesn't hog the lane when people need to merge. No, that's not in there. And, and see, everything has to be passed through the filter of love. And so these are the things that we need to do to stand. Now, where are we heading? I'm just going to take a minute so that you know. What I just I feel like the Lord's really calling us to do is, is I'm going to keep preaching on the ministry of encouragement. We're going to fill out that um, encourager's plan. That each one of those five steps uh, or uh, things has a message that will go along with it. And uh, we've already done Get Focused, and we've looked, worked through Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. I've asked you to memorize it. We're going we're gonna to come back at, at the end of the thing. We're going to talk about being thankful. I got a message for that. Um, we're gonna, we just finished talking about taking a stand, and you've had some verses to remember that. Uh, the encouragement thing I'm going to get back to. The next thing that we're going to talk about is getting connected. And I've encouraged you to do that on our website, but I'm going to broaden that now and talk about staying and getting connected to God. And so we're going to do a quick series on prayer. And I'm going to have you learn... Matthew 6, 9 through 13. You want to know the good news? Most of you already know it. You know what Matthew 6, 9 through 13 is? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Some of you got this one already? (laughs) You're like, yes! (laughs) So, you can go back and practice the other two. Coming up in those other two series, the love filter is going to be one of the series. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. That's coming up. And then we're going to learn the Philippians 4 verses about not being anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I want you to know those five passages of Scripture, and I want you to memorize them. I mean, that's my encouragement. I can't make you do it. I get it. But, but I think they're vitally important to this ministry and to taking a stand in the ministry of encouragement. So that's what we've learned. That's where we're headed. And we'll pick it up there the next time. We get together. Everybody got this now? You know it all. Okay, I'm going to give you blank bulletins and we're going to take a test. <laughs> no, I'm not. We're done. We, uh, if you're watching my video, you can go ahead and shut it down. Thanks for watching. If you need anything, call us, email us, write us, whatever you need to do. Let me go ahead and pray tonight for you. And then we'll call it a night.